James chapter 4, it says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell within us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You ever find yourself in a place where there's just no joy in life? You ever find yourself not wanting to go home for some of us? I'm going to stay at work. I'm going to avoid my wife. I'm going to avoid my husband. I'm going to avoid my kids. You ever find yourself feeling that way? You ever find yourself feeling like you don't want to come to church because you don't want to find and connect with somebody? Tomorrow morning just seems so dreadful. I've got to get up to go to work. Oh, no, I've got to deal with that boss or that coworker. And it seems like at times for you and for me that some problems never seem to get resolved. That ever happened for you? Are there people that you just don't want to run into? You're walking through the supermarket and all of a sudden you see that person in the corner and you want to jot, uh, jet down a separate aisle because you're afraid of running into them? Are there some people that you avoid? Are there some people that you fear seeing? Do you look down at your phone and all of a sudden you see that person's name uh, pop across the screen and you just send it to voicemail because I don't want to deal with you right now? Are there some people that friend you on Facebook and want to be a friend of yours and you look and you just kind of avoid uh, that time after time? Uh, all of those things are probably a byproduct of the fact that there's probably been some pain or some hurt, some difficulty that has happened in your life. Uh, if you remember several weeks ago, I used a quote from, um, I believe it was Ed Welsh, and he said that uh, relationships are the time of your greatest joys and the greatest sorrows um, that we go through. So as you look at your relationships, oftentimes you will find that it's in those relationships that you will have great joys, and in those relationships you'll have great sorrow. Well, we now come to those times where you have great sorrow and pain and tears and hurt, those times that you find yourself violated by others. You know, the interesting thing about God is this. God never promises you that you won't have difficulties. If you hear that from anyone, run away. Because Jesus Christ was called a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. The perfect God-man lived here on earth and he was grieved and he was hurt and he was dealing with great difficulties in his life. And if that's true for Christ, that would be true for you and for me. What James does right now is he counsels us through his word. He encourages us to grow. Now, as we've been walking through James here, he's talking about these vital relationships, and he's talking about the fact that through these trials, you can have a deep and intimate relationship with God. 
And it can keep you from dealing with temptation in your lives. You can stay away from materialism. He's going to get to that point here, worldliness right now. He talks about the fact that you should hear his word and be a lover of his word and then a doer of his word. He talks about the discrimination that we have in our churches is wrong. He talks about the fact that there shouldn't be favoritism. He talks about the fact that your faith should be coming out in practical aspects of work for one another. He talks about how you communicate with one another is huge. And then he talks about this conflict. Do you ever find at times that your relationships and the difficulties in your life never get resolved? Well, James gives us a counsel of how we do that today. He starts by talking about the fact, he says, what causes the fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He begins by talking about conflict. Now, I don't know about you, but um, that word conflict at times, when I heard it in the past, was a bad word. I hated it. And I read this book by this guy. Um, His name is Ken Sandy. And he wrote this book called The Peacemaker. And he used this phrase that was kind of crazy to me. He said, conflict is a opportunity. I thought he was crazy. What kind of opportunity can come from conflict? Well, he was just pulling this right out of James. That the conflicts that are in your life is an opportunity for you to grow in the gospel, to understand the gospel and to live the gospel. It's an opportunity for you to show Christ to others. It's an opportunity for you to serve others. It's an opportunity for you to become like Christ. This conflict provides an opportunity, but conflict starts with differences, right? Oftentimes, I want you to think back to the very last conflict that you had. Perhaps it was even coming here to church this morning. The conflict that you had oftentimes begins with a difference of opinion. It's something that you are dissimilar with somebody, where there's some disparity. You just don't agree with this person, and that difference now starts to get highlighted in a conflict. A conflict can either be a difference or can be an offense where you get attacked, assaulted, verbally put down. You feel that this person has sinned against you and wronged you. I believe that what I find oftentimes is that people take differences and they elevate it to offenses. That just because you disagree with me doesn't mean that you're offending me. And the problem is, is I think oftentimes we allow those conflicts to be elevated in our lives. So do you often find yourself getting so angry with other people that in the midst of that difference, you take it as a personal attack? Do you come across as abrupt? Do you come across as arrogant, aggressive? Do you blame people? Are you bossy? Are you demanding? Are you demeaning? Are you harsh? Are you inconsistent? Do you find yourself indirect or indecisive? Do you find yourself judgmental, passive, procrastinating, rejecting, resistant, rigid, rude? Whatever it is, if any of those qualities sound like you, it is a telltale sign that you're struggling with managing conflict in your lives. So conflict can be a difference of opinion, conflict can be an attack, or it could just be a difference. The problem is is that every time conflict involves some level of pride, selfishness, or lust. Look with me here. He says this. He says, what causes the quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And this goes exactly against the opposite counsel of the world. The counsel of the world is this. The problems that you have are someone else's fault. The struggles that you're going through today are what people are doing to you. 
And so now what we do is we distance ourselves from that person. We run from that marriage. We run from that church. We run from that job. We run from that friendship because if we run from that, we believe that the conflict is done. But then we move into another issue with another person that we're in conflict with and another church that we're in conflict with and another marriage we're in conflict with and we're missing the fact the conflict is not around me, it is within me. It's the fact that I'm allowing my passions to be at war within me. So where does conflict start? Conflict starts with wanting. Now, wanting in and of itself is not a problem. Passions and desires in and of themselves is not wrong. God has passions and desires. He gave us passions and desires. Here's the dilemma. When the passions and desires are not for the glory of God and the good of others, the dilemma starts now. So in the midst of the conflict, whether the conflict is over the remote or the conflict is over time on the computer, or conflict over the fact that somebody friended me or didn't friend me. Whatever it is, there is something that I am elevating more than the glory of God and the good of others. And what James is saying here is that your passions are at war within you. So instead of going to war against people externally, we need to go with at war against ourselves. He says in verse 2 this, he says, You desire and do not have, so you, do not, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So what he's saying is this. He's talking about these desires that become idolatrous. He's talking about these desires that become elevated. They become more important to you than the love of this person or the love of God. And I don't know what the conflict was this morning or the last conflict that you went in through, but I can pretty much guarantee you that there was something that you wanted more and you weren't getting it. Conflict can be broken down into, or the desires can be broken down into two things. Basically, they fall under this category of unmet desires. The first one is this. I want what I should not want. That's the idea of coveting. If you remember the Ten Commandments, the very last of the Ten Commandments was you shall not, what? Covet. Covet means to desire something that God has not ordained for me to have. He has not ordained for me to have your home or your car. He has not ordained for me to have your looks or your ability. He's not ordained for me to have your possessions or your position. He's ordained for me to have what I have. But coveting is that I want that and I need that to be happy. What does that do? It shows that God is not good enough for me and he can't satisfy me and I need more. So conflict comes from one, wanting what I should not want. That goes into this idea of envy. Envy takes it even a step further. Envy is looking at the possessions that somebody else has or the position that somebody else has and saying that they don't deserve it. So it's not just simply that I don't, I desire what you have. You don't deserve what you have and I want it for myself. And that envy starts to build up that jealousy and that selfish ambition and that anger that happens within and you start to get resentful and displeased at what other people have and you have an effort to deprive them and as you start to deprive them of what they have your conflict continues i'm going to grab that remote i'm going to grab that thing from you because i deserve it i demand it i challenge you to look at your conflict that you just had recently what is it that you desperately wanted or that you needed in order to be happy well, conflict is not simply wanting what I should not want, but sometimes conflict comes from wanting what I should want, but wanting it too much. I want my children to respect me as a dad. I'd like my wife to respect me. 
I like people to treat me with value and respect. Is there anything wrong with that? No. The dilemma is that sometimes our desires get exaggerated. And when they get exaggerated, the thing that I desperately want, which is a good want, now becomes a bad want because I want it more than the glory of God and the good of others. So I ask you to consider, as you think about your conflicts today, what is it that you wanted? Did you have a right to want that? And if you had a right to want it, did you want it more than loving others and loving God? Turn back with me to um, chapter 3. Chapter 3 says something interesting here in verse 13. The lead up to this section where he's talking about conflict, he begins with this. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness, humility, and in wisdom. But if you have better je bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, inside, it's within you. It's not outside of you. It's within you, James is saying. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This, fall, this uh, wisdom does not come down from God. It is of this world, it is fleshly, unspiritual, and it is demonic. That when we have broken relationships that can't be brought together, you are not hearing the gospel and you're not living the gospel. Can I say that again? If you have broken relationships where you are choosing not to mend them, there is someone in that relationship that is not living the gospel. That you may be attempting to live out the gospel message. Romans tells us that. If possible, as far as it depends upon me, live at peace. Maybe I'm doing everything I can to reconcile that relationship, but the other person's not. But there's at least one person in the midst of this conflict that is holding on to something, not the gospel. The gospel brings people together. It brings people of all races and all kinds and all tongues together under this great news of Christ. And when we are separated and discriminating, and working against one another, and I can't resolve this conflict with you, you're missing the gospel. And James is saying that's not coming from God. It's coming from earth. It's coming from your flesh, and it is being fueled by Satan. James argues in this section that true wisdom is going to produce good works, and true wisdom is going to produce humility in your life. I don't know if that sounds like you. But I can tell you that those that struggle with conflict constantly are probably not practicing good fruits and not showing humility in their lives. I often talk to my clients about this idea of surplus versus deficit mindset. Oftentimes we live in this world and we believe that we are at a deficit. I need something from you. And, and you probably go through life using that word, I need, right? And what we do is we need this, and you owe me. And when you owe me, you better fulfill this. And when you don't fulfill this, what ends up happening, I'm going to punish you for not giving me what I want. And the vast majority of your conflicts is because we elevate a need, our desire to a need. We demand from one another. We expect that this person is going to fulfill us. And when they don't, we attack them. We have an entitlement mindset in our Western culture that is really disturbing, and that entitlement mindset has now infiltrated the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you owe me. And we even have God on the bank for us. To, he owes us. God owes us nothing. God has granted you grace, 
And if he's granted you grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have that opportunity to share that grace and breathe that grace with one another. So stop living at a deficit. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That God has given me a life that is abundant life. I don't need any more. And even those things that I need, God says he will supply my needs according to his riches and glory. So I don't need. So what I ask people to consider is this. If you can start the flow of grace from God through you to others, Versus looking for the flow to come from them to you and outward. See, if I can need you less, as one author said, and love you more, that radically changes the heart of conflict. Whatever it is, conflict is driven by the fact that it's a lack of gratitude to God, a lack of thankfulness to him. At heart, I am ungrateful to him. Well, James is arguing in this section that there's this common theme that happens, that there is something that I want desperately. I need it more than anything else. I'm going to go to war with you to get it. Look here at the end of verse 2. He says, after he says you covet and cannot obtain, you fight and quarrel, he says this, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions there's the next thing that tends to happen in conflict we stop praying do you pray for the person that you're in conflict with jesus told us to love our enemies pray for those who are persecuting you james as the half brother of the lord jesus christ heard his brother say these things and is now telling you part of the reason why you're struggling today is you stopped praying or you're praying with the wrong motives. Do you ever pray, change their heart, God? Fix them? Smite them? Destroy them? Whatever it is. And it's all a level of prayerlessness. Sometimes I'm not praying at all. Other times I'm praying with the wrong motives and you're missing out on the fact that God wants to bless you and pour his grace upon you. So let's boil it down. Why do I fight? Why do you fight? Why do I fight? There are two words I want you to consider. The first one is desires. Desires are this idea of I want. I want, but the problem here in the conflict is that this I want becomes a self-centered craving. I want becomes a demand. It's a frustrated desire, and James makes it clear that the intense strife that you're going through is going to impact communities. It's going to impact relationships. It doesn't ever stay within you. It is going to pour outside of you. Those wrong desires, those frustrated desires moves to the second reason why we have conflict, deity. I play God. I judge other people. I punish other people for not giving me what I want. That is a bad representation of God. I think that in the midst of the conflict, you are called to serve me. And when you're not serving me, I am going to judge you and I'm going to punish you. What God does is this. God knows that the greatest thing for humanity is himself. And he judges you and punishes you because you do not follow him. And he wants to give you his grace. He wants to give you a relationship with him. He brought his son so that he can bring you to him. We see that in the communion service that we'll be celebrating this morning. We play a false level of deity this morning, and when we do, we find ourselves struggling. 
all the fights, all the wars, all the rumors of wars come from this unrestrained passion that I have within. Every verbal argument, every personal violence, every national conflict comes from the fact that I want somebody's position or their possessions, and I want it now. What rules you? What consumes you? What do you find yourself dwelling on constantly? Are you willing to sin, one author put it. I like this. came from the book Uprooting Anger. He asked this question, the last two questions. Are you willing to sin to get what you want? You ever find yourself doing that? You ever find yourself, I'm going to even sin to get this thing that I desperately need? Or how about this one? When I didn't get what I want, I'm going to sin against you anyway. And what happens at that moment in time is that I am elevating this desire greater than the glory of God and greater than the love of others. Verse 4, he says this, you adulterous people. That's pretty strong, James. Why is he bringing adultery into this? It seems like he just went off course. We were just talking about conflicts. You were talking about murder. I've never murdered anybody. Now you're talking about adultery. And what James is arguing is this, the murder. I may never have pulled a trigger and taken somebody's life, but I murder people at times with my thoughts. I murder them in my heart. And the adultery here, I may have never done that in an adulterous way, but what he is saying is this, unfaithfulness to God is adultery. That when I believe that something in this earth is going to satisfy me more than God, guess what? I'm adulterous to God. I'm unfaithful to God. He is the one that's going to satisfy you, not the remote control. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? James is saying that if you believe that your ultimate level of satisfaction is going to come from anything here on this earth, you're missing it. And God goes on the opposition against that. It says this, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself a what? An enemy of God. Are you kidding me? Because I was upset over something, I was screaming in the car on the way to church, I have now made myself an enemy. I'm displaying enemy characteristics. And in displaying those enemy characteristics, I'm displaying things that are of this world, things that are fleshly, and things that are demonic, not things of Christ. And it says, or do you suppose, verse 5, is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made within us. He says in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what is God going the opposition against? He goes in the opposition against pride. At root level, I believe it was Francis Schaeffer that believed that the root of all sin, it may have been C.S. Lewis, that the root of all sin comes back down to the issue of pride. And I think they're right. That pride is an elevation of my own desires, something I want deeply, my beliefs, my way. Selfishness is what I want to do for myself. So whether it's selfishness or pride, at the root of all sin, I'm elevating me, but not God. And I'm elevating me and not you. And God is opposed to that. You know, it's kind of scary when you get the omnipresent, all-powerful, ever-present God who is all-knowing. He goes on the opposition against what? 
my pride. He hates it. And he goes to war against it. If that's not scary enough, he it talks about his jealousy here. I don't know if you've ever experienced jealousy, but your jealousy is nothing like God's. It says here in verse 5, it says, or do you not suppose that it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell within us? God desires that his people exclusively and enthusiastically are his. Why? Why exclusively? Why enthusiastically? Because it's, his be- it's for our best. And it's for his glory. And the tendency of humanity and the tendency of the church is to imitate the world. And James has been talking about that from the book. He's been talking about the fact that we have a tendency to imitate the world and discriminate against people and speak evil against others and have bitter envy in our lives and selfish ambition and destructive pleasures. And all of those are showing that I have a greater allegiance to this world and my desires than to God. And God is jealous for you. God is not jealous because there's something valuable in you. He is jealous because he is the best thing for you and he wants to give himself to you. And when you turn to anything less than him, you're missing it out. So he goes on the opposition against your pride. He has jealousy. But then what does he do? He gives you grace. Because the reality for me and the reality for you is that if God demands exclusive allegiance, I can't do it. If he wants to give me, if I would need to have perfect loyalty and commitment and fidelity and faithfulness to God, I personally can't do it. I fail every hour. I fail every moment, time after time. And what does he do for that? He gives you grace, verse 6. It says, he opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to who? The humble. The exact person that is elevating himself in the midst of this conflict is not a humble person. It's a proud person. But in the midst of this conflict, if I turn to God, as we saw in chapter 1, in the midst of the trial, I look to God. I seek his wisdom. Guess what he does? In that humility, he gives you his sustaining grace. He gives you sufficient grace. He pours that grace upon you. That grace is favor that comes to those that don't deserve it. It's greater than your fears. It's greater than the wars. It's greater than the pain from your past. It's greater than the problems in your future. It is grace that is amazing grace that he wants to pour upon you. I got this quote from Alec Murder. He says this, what comfort there is in this verse. It tells us that God is tirelessly on our side. He never falters in respect of our needs. He always has more grace at hand. He never is less than sufficient. He always has more and yet more to give. Whatever we may forfeit when we put self first, whatever we forfeit in our salvation when we put other things first, no matter what we do to him, he can never be beaten. We may play the false in the grace of election. We may um, contradict the grace of reconciliation. We may overlook the grace of indwelling um, grace in our lives. Even if we turn to him and say, what we have received is so much, much less than enough, he would reply this way. I tell you this, I have more. His resources never end. His patience is never exhausted. His initiative never stops. His generosity knows no limits. His grace is more grace. So for every insurmountable struggle that you have, for every trial that you will ever go through, God grants you grace. Come back with me to verse chapter 13. I'm um, chapter 3, verse um, 
16. It says, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there's disorder in every vile practice. But he says this, verse 17, but wisdom that is from above is first of all pure. You know what pure means? It means that it's holy. It's, um, it's free from defilement. And what James is going to say is that the purity that you can display in your relationships, the purity that you can display in your relationships is a purity that has to start from within. It's not what's happening outside. And then he gives us seven characteristics, seven qualities that flow from that. Just bullet point them real quick. He says, first of all, after purity, then there's what? Peaceable. You know, it's authentic peace. This authentic peace, this free from a quarrelsome attitude, this type of peace that God says that you can have in your life, it's a spiritual level of integrity. It's peace-loving. It's a desiring to make peace with others. Then he says gentle. Would anybody call you gentle? Thoughtful and respectful, patient in humility, kind, considerate, persevering in grace. How about reasonable? I'm willing to yield. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to obey. I'm teachable. I'm not stubborn. Full of mercy. I'm charitable. I have concern for those who are suffering. I'm willing to forgive them. I'm compassionate. Full of good fruits. I do what is right. I'm impartial. I'm unswerving in my allegiance. You ever have a tendency to discuss other people's sins more charitably? No. I discuss other people's sins that they're wrong, and I discuss my sins with grace. And we're supposed to do the exact opposite. Grant grace as you discuss their sins and live in the grace that he's given you in Christ. And lastly, he says you're sincere, without hypocrisy, honest, open, genuine, not fake. Does that sound like you? James, that clearly doesn't sound like me. (laughs) If you were to ask my wife or my kids, James, I don't think they would say that that's me. And life says this. Life is not about perfection. It's about process. It's about progress. That we should be seeing these qualities, not in perfection, but we should be seeing these qualities in our lives step by step, day by day. So how does James bring this whole home? Because he's been saying that the conflicts that are happening are not happening outside of me, they're happening within me. And it's the fact that I'm desiring something more than I'm desiring the love of God and the love of others. And I'm not praying to God, and I'm elevating my own selfish desires over you. And by doing so, I'm saying that I will find satisfaction in something in this world other than God. So James gives us counsel of how we deal with that. Because if you're in that position today, and many of us are, He gives us certain bullet points. Just look right here with me in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, I oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. And then he says what? He says, submit to God. And he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. The first step, and we're going to do that in just a couple of moments, we need to revisit the cross every day. That if you go back to the cross, 
The gospel is not simply for the non-believer. The gospel is for every single person to hear every single day. My sin, the Savior. My guilt, his grace. And that leads to great satisfaction and leads to great gratitude in my heart that as I live out that gospel message and I hear that gospel message, I need to come to the foot of the cross every single day. Even in the midst of this conflict, turn to the cross. It says we must resist the devil. As we've learned from chapter 1 from James, the devil doesn't make me sin. Remember? I sin because I've allowed my own evil desires to take root in my life. So I need to turn away from the devil, run away from his counsel, resist him. And what happens when you do that? He will flee from you, the promise is. I need to be relying on God's wisdom. And where do I find God's wisdom? I find God's wisdom by going to his word. I need to be spending time in this word. He talked about in chapter 3, wisdom. Wisdom comes from this book. Wisdom comes from being filled by the Holy Spirit. And wisdom comes from where else? Community of believers. That in vital relationships, you're going to grow in faith because God is going to connect you in a community of believers. Your word, his word, his spirit connects you in a body of believers to grow in that adult Bible fellowship in the morning. The small groups sitting together here at church fellowshipping with one another after church. In that community, we find ourselves growing in that wisdom, and so we need to rely on the wisdom of God. A word that we don't often talk about today is this idea of repent. James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He talks about the two levels of repentance. He talks about external activities that I do, repentance, but then he talks about the internal workings of my heart. It's not just simply changing external behaviors. He's saying that your very heart needs to change because that's where the conflict is coming from. So as your heart changes, as you turn to him, and we turn to him and repent, he will purify you. I must focus on the responsibilities that I have. Not your responsibilities, mine. And then I finally need to come to a point where, is it really worth it? Can I give up this right? Can I limit it? Is this really that big a deal? So I don't know about you, but the gospel is the key to peace. That if I and you, if we can live gospel-saturated in our lives, gospel-saturated in our marriages, does that mean that all of our relationships will be great? No. Look at Christ. Many people reject him. But what it does mean is this, that if you live the gospel, if you breathe the gospel, if you display the gospel in your lives, that will please your Father in heaven. It can reconcile the broken, most broken of relationships, and it can be a light to shine the good news of Christ to this lost and dark world. Is that what your marriage is? Is that what your families? Is that what your relationships are doing today? Because faith... A real faith seeks resolution. Are you seeking resolution today? Lord.